Hey there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five tenets of journalism, who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You're listening to episode 26. This is part two of our listener questions, comments, and concerns episode. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. All right. Well, welcome to part two of our listener questions episode. We are going to go over another uh, Facebook question that we got. How does one navigate relationships as a hinge where metamors don't get along? And I'll, uh, I'll give some definitions after this, but... The rest of the question is, I am not in this situation particularly, but I can't, I can't imagine being with someone my spouse hates or who hates my spouse. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but I can't imagine it. We also had a couple comments of people saying, this has happened to me, I am in this scenario, or I have been in this scenario and it broke apart a relationship. So a lot of people do experience this. A clarification, a hinge is if you are in a V relationship, like say a Person A is dating person B, and person B is dating person C. B is the hinge. B is the hinge, yes. So, um, and the metamors are A and C. I wish you could see Lindsay's hand gestures. Yeah, I'm like, I'm just perfectly clear the way she's doing it physically. Why am I talking with my hands? Okay, yeah. Um, So, yes, hinge is that middle partner. uh, and And the other two people are not independently in a polyamorous relationship. Right, and they're not dating one another. That would be a triangle, a triad relationship. They're they're separate. So I have a lot of thoughts because I have been in a relationship where my metamor did not like me. One could maybe even say they hated me. And that relationship uh, with my husband, um, my now husband, though they weren't my husband at the time, it did uh, suffer because of it. And I think that the reason why is because you choose the people that you surround yourself with, hopefully because you love them or you want them to be uh, around you and you like them as people. Again, these are all ideal situations, right? And if somebody comes into your life and essentially is saying, I don't like the people you've chosen yourself to be around, they are also kind of saying you make bad decisions, right? Maybe not out like outwardly, but they're, they're implying you make bad decisions and I don't respect your decisions and I don't respect the people that you surround yourself with. And that can really cause a lot of resentment. Uh, so I, I understand when people say this broke up our relationship because though it can be kind of inevitable or hard to navigate, there are underlying issues. Yeah. There are underlying things that you're saying when when you're saying, I don't like who, you, who you're who you with. That being said, I don't think metamors have to be best friends. I think that just like friends don't have to be friends with other people's friends, right? We can And we can navigate that easily enough, I, or some people can, some people can't, I don't know, where if your best friend doesn't get along with your work friend, that doesn't necessarily have to matter. Your best friend's in this community your work friend is in this community and they don't ever have to interact 
if your idea of polyamory is kitchen table polyamory where everyone has to get along and have breakfast with one another, then you're going to have a problem. If your idea of polyamory is more relationship anarchy or solo polyamory where your partners technically never have to meet, then I don't see how it would ever be a problem. They don't have to get along. Um, so I guess it kind of depends on what polyamory you do and how big of an issue it's going to be. But I think because my kind of polyamory is a little bit more kitchen table, or at least ideally it's going to be more kitchen table, when a metamor doesn't like me, or if I'm not the biggest fan of them, it does start to really get into affecting the relationship, causing resentment, um, causing tension, right? And the way that, that I have gotten over it in the past is by forcing myself to like them. <laughs> like, so, uh, I will find something. I will, I will literally. Like we were talking about <laughs> in the last episode, at least they're outside and they enjoy mm -hmm. being outside. <laughs> right. I will find something to grab onto. In my first ever poly polyamorous relationship, I really don't think that the woman on my metamor liked me very much at all. I think she was, uh, very fearful and, and maybe rightfully so, um, but fearful of, of my and her husband's relationship. And so I found that she was interested in learning to knit. I taught her how to knit. We knit every like couple days together. We got to know each other. We both found out that we were big into like feminism and politics. We started talking. We found common ground in being able to bitch about our hinge partner together, which was great. <laughs> and now, I mean, 12 years later, I, we have both broken up with that man that we are both seeing and, uh, we are closer friends than I, and then I think either of us ever were with that guy. So things can definitely change. Um, you just kind of, you have to work, you have to do the work. And so for me, I, I think it's also a little bit, I, I find it kind of easy to make friends, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I, I try really hard and I, try to find common ground in some way and then I latch onto that and I, I just go with it. Some people don't care that much though. So I totally get it. I think, so I've never been in that situation, luckily for me, um, but I can definitely imagine it being a difficult situation to be in. I think it would definitely have me wondering about the relationship, the newer of the relationships, or really both of the relationships, probably depending on what kind of a dynamic. I, I have been in relationships where my close friends did not like the person I was seeing and had concerns about the relationship or me in the relationship. And in most cases, they all ended up being right. Mm. And so sometimes I think we can go into relationships with our rose-colored glasses pressed mm -hmm. firmly onto our faces mm -hmm. and it behooves us maybe to check and see if we're wearing them or not when our friends or other people who are important to us ask pointed questions Valid like questions. that. Yeah, because um, when you're wearing rose-colored glasses, all of the red flags just look like flags. Right! <laughs> oh, that's so well put. Yes, love it. Mm -hmm. Um Exactly. So you need to, you don't need to. I think it is a good idea to reality check yourself 
that doesn't mean that it's a bad relationship. It doesn't mean the person's concerns are correct, but it is worth examining the questions that somebody is asking you about your relationships and trying to figure out, well, this is what I thought it was like. Is it really like that? Let me see if I can try to put my more objective lenses on. Not that you're ever going to be really objective in a relationship, but you can be NRE, right? You can be deeply unobjective or you can be slightly objective. I think, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or at least just being, again, it's awareness, like thinking like, Oh, is there something going on here? Let me think about this. And, and, and there have definitely been times in which I felt my partner was maybe being abused or manipulated and that caused concern. And also it was hard to like that person because I'm like, I think you're being abusive to the person I love the most, right? So right? that's horrible. That, yeah, that's, uh, that's not a good situation to be in. And it's also really hard to find common ground and want to be friends with that person. So, so if you think that there's abuse or manipulation at play, I guess it just really just then comes down to communicating to your partner and being like, hey, I, I think that what they're doing is not right. If oftentimes when people are in abusive situations, they don't see it that way or they can justify it in certain ways. And, and, and hopefully either if you are in that situation or if your partner is, you can see the forest for the trees. I don't know, you know, like kind of like step back and be able to analyze the relationship a bit or examine the questions that people are asking them. But those often do take time. And I often like to say that like, explosions blow themselves up you know like when people are kind of being shitty uh, that doesn't last forever hopefully it doesn't those don't those relationships when people are being abusive or manipulative they don't last long uh so i don't have to help fuel the fire they're going to happen and that may be something that's more true in a polyamory situation because Mm -hmm. there are other intimate partners who see what's going on in your life and how you are being in a way that in a traditional monogamous context is less likely to be perceived as quickly. Mm -hmm. Because I think, unfortunately, quite often uh, monogamous relationships, those abusive contexts can continue to exist for a very long time. And I'm sure that that is sometimes also true in a poly context, because oftentimes people who are abusive or manipulative are very skilled at that. Yeah. And learn how to wield their power delicately enough that other people have a hard time seeing it. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a tough space to negotiate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, again, it comes down to really trying to be aware of yourself and your patterns and listening to the people who are important to you when they raise concerns. Yeah. And do you trust your partner? Like, do you trust that they are, they want the best for you? And if you do, then maybe what they're saying isn't totally illogical. And maybe what they're saying is based on insecurity and fear and, 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 you know, all these like tenets of jealousy. As long as they're not saying you must break up with this person because I'm feeling uncomfortable, like no matter what, hopefully it's just the beginning of a conversation. Right, exactly. You can interrogate the question of whether it's jealousy or whether it's legitimate concerns for you. And those aren't going to be quick conversations, probably, Mm -hmm. but they're probably worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, to summary, I think that it, it you can be with a partner who doesn't like your other partner who doesn't met, like metamorphs, but it really, yeah, it definitely behooves the the situation to delve into that to really communicate about why are your concerns logical and valid, are are your are your feelings valid but not facts, right? We often have that that conversation. Feelings aren't facts, but what does that mean for you? So yeah, yeah. So we had another Facebook question, which might be two questions. What are some strategies for successfully navigating polyamory or ethical non-monogamy when your primary or nesting partner has chosen to remain monogamous? What are some successful strategies for partners with anxious attachment style to work through feelings of jealousy and insecurity surrounding their partner's involvement in other relationships? And bonus question... So I guess maybe there's a third question. Mm -hmm. Bonus question, tips for improving and moving forward after dishonesty and poor communication within an open relationship. Okay. There's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot there. A lot there. Um, So navigating polyamory when your partner or nesting partner, I think that doesn't necessarily matter when one of your partners has chosen to remain monogamous. So I like to say that there are two different types of monogamous people. Monogamous people who identify that way for themselves, and it doesn't matter what their partner identifies with and what their partner does, they want to be monogamous for themselves. And then there are monogamous people who are monogamous but also need their partner to be monogamous. And those people cannot date polyamorous people. Just, it won't work out. They need their partner to only be with them. They will feel lesser than or... Um, uh, unloved or whatever the case may be. These are the people who, when you say you're poly, they go, I could never do that. And what they're saying is they could never also date that. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So when, so if you have determined that the kind of poly or the kind of monogamous partner that you are dating is the kind that doesn't mind or (laughs) tolerates or whatever the case may be, or is okay with totally okay with dating a poly person, um, then then the conversation can continue. If you have found that your partner is that type of monogamous person who just cannot date a poly person, and that's how you identify, then you might want to start considering, is this relationship a kind of relationship that can continue? Because the answer is probably no. Well, I'm going to add a little bit into that, um, because I do think that some of those anxious attachment style feelings that are described by the questioner. I mean, it may be that there are therapeutic techniques that your partner, you know, working with a therapist or you and your partner together working with a therapist can find and figure out a way to navigate, even if in their heart of hearts, they really don't want to be doing this, Mm -hmm. but they want to be with you enough that they are committed to trying to find a way to be at least able to tolerate and not resent you for being who you are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, You know, not saying it's going to be easy. The level of commitment and therapy that that takes is serious. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a monogamous friend who was in a relationship with someone who was so caught up in his insecurities about some of that stuff and not really willing to take it on in therapy that he couldn't stand to hear her 
tell you know completely innocuous stories about exes mm. or talk about seeing some person you know in the hall at work who she thought was attractive i mean and things that you know kind of go into that like we're currently in this crazy monogamous culture around micro cheating right he sincerely just couldn't stand it mm. and even though she she has dated in poly context and has been in ethical non-monogamy off and on for much of her adult life. Um, You know, she's content to date monogamously, but not that level of monogamously. Like she still needed to be able to, you know, have a little distracting crush at work from time to time Mm -hmm. or find, you know, somebody attractive in a movie or walking down the street. Like that sort of, right, exactly. (laughs) And, and be able to, say so mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. not have to, to pretend to her mm-hmm. partner that no honey you're the only person that i find attractive have ever found attractive and will ever find attractive again yeah. like and literally he wouldn't be able to like if, if something came up while they were in bed he wouldn't be able to get hard he would wow. lose his erection and you know, that's, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't faking it. It wasn't just some, but it was not sustainable. Maybe if he would have tackled it in therapy, it would have made a difference. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But it seems like, like if I were seeing, if I really were committed to a relationship with someone who was really struggling in that way, for me, I would need to know that they were addressing it in therapy for me to, for it to be worth it to me to maybe take a pause button on other relationships or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, otherwise try to support them by altering my choices for a finite amount of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think it's unreasonable to say, Hey, I'm really struggling this with this. Can we take a month? Can we take three months? But I would need to know that it they weren't just sitting around like, aha, I won for three months. Right, you know, right. They well, would... And what does that mean? Does that mean, like, break up with a partner? Or does it mean let's stop going out on dates? Or, you know, like, right, it depends right. on the yeah, level exactly. of You'd attachment have to... you have with other people, too. Yes, that's absolutely yeah. true. That's absolutely true. But I can't imagine any circumstances where I would feel okay with it if they were not trying. Doing the And work. I did not yeah, feel really confident that they were working on coming up with a way to be yeah because if someone is truly uncomfortable with something they can say that forever right like right. Uh, ultimately like i'm really just not ready for polyamory right now but i might be in two months let's just like regroup right then, yeah and then again and again and again and right and, and that's not fair yeah yeah, it's not. That's that's where it falls over into the manipulative side of things. Absolutely. Um, you know, but I think a one-time request, like, you know what, I know this is important to you, and I want to get there, and I'm going to take on, you know, meeting with this therapist every week for the next three months, and, you know, let's Talking to other intend poly people, reading that the books. I'm going to be yeah. there in mm-hmm. three months, mm-hmm. and, you know, at the end of the three months, we'll give it a three month try of doing it, you know, in this way that 
is what you right, making think a plan. you want. Right. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and like, you're going to give me this 90 days, then I'm going to give you this 90 days. And hopefully, you know, what the end of this will all be comfortable with where we are and we can keep, like you said, you're right. It's not fair. Like, Oh, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm almost, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I can, I think I can, I think I can. Um, you know, there has to be a guarantee of some kind of freedom on the other side of that patient. Or maybe that, you know, also having the discussion of, and if this doesn't work and polyamory is the way you want to be, then, then maybe we should also talk about how would, how can we successfully end or deescalate the relationship or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, if that's what you need. Like, and, and yeah. just saying like, if, if at that point, two, three months down the line, I just cannot be there, then this is probably what will happen, you know, and, and all maybe all hypothetical, maybe not, maybe start planning for the end, like who knows what, but um, I think being realistic in those terms is, is really important instead of just like, maybe, we'll see, you know, like. Yeah. Now, I think there is a podcast and there's at least a blog of uh, polymono people. So mm. a, a polyamorous person in a relationship with a monogamous person. There are Facebook um, groups for sure. And I think, yeah, I think there's some resources that are geared towards the monogamous person in that context yep. as well. Mm-hmm. And so perhaps finding that community would be helpful. Um, at least knowing that they're not alone might be helpful. Knowing that other people are navigating this it might be that they never decide that they love it, but they decide they want the relationship with you badly enough that they are willing to be with their own discomfort and, you know, then trying to figure out like, okay, well, if we're nesting partners, that probably means that you aren't going to be able to bring them home to our bed because right. I'm going to be there. Yeah. And, I'm not going out on dates. Right. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you can live with, that kind of restriction in some capacity you've got to arrange for staying at the other person's house or getting a hotel room or maybe you have a guest room or you know whatever other kinds of solutions you can come up with mm-hmm. um you know maybe there there may be ways to negotiate that that everyone is at least able to tolerate right 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 that was actually another question was how do you solve the challenge of location for int- intimacy when homes or other shared spaces may be unavailable? And for example, homes with kids or roommates or living with parents. Um, so that, yeah, that kind of brought that question up that uh, if you are nesting, if your nesting partner is monogamous, they're most likely going to be home unless they travel a lot. That That's also a thing. And, and I kind of wanted to to recognize there are a lot of poly people in relationships with asexual people who not only are not interested in dating or maybe they're aromantic, they're not interested in romantic or sexual connection with other people. And so, especially if they're dating someone who is, who is aromantic or aerosexual, the opposite, meaning they want other, they want sexual and romantic relationships. Polyamory is oftentimes a, a good go-to because there are needs and wants and desires in the relationship that their partner just cannot give them. Um, and, and unless there are kind of really yucky, questionable, like lines of maintenance sex or something like that, you know, that is happening, getting your needs and desires fulfilled elsewhere is, is usually the only ethical option, but they are probably going to be at home. So you kind of have to navigate again. Yes. Like we were saying before, hotels, guest bedrooms, 
maybe your partner has their own place or their own guest bedroom or maybe your partner's metamore travels for work all the time you know like uh it can be really difficult and i know there were times in which um my husband like the only place that he was able to really have private time with his partner was like in the car you know well like, i mean and you know we're <laughs> yeah. not teenagers anymore but yeah, it's, all of us were at one time yeah yep. and i certainly had lots of car activity as a teenager <laughs> right. i don't know how delighted I would be about that being the best available option anymore. Yeah. But it might be. And, yeah. you know, I personally would have a hard time being in a relationship that I called a relationship where there was not sexual contact. But there are a lot of other things that you can do to enjoy time together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if you can't end up having a sexual connection in a given chunk of time, mm-hmm. you hopefully can hang out and watch a movie or go, you know, to a museum or go have a meal. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's other things you can do. And maybe there are even things that you can do at your house with your partner or your family or your roommates around. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Physical intimacy doesn't always necessarily mean penetrative sex. So, you know, cuddling on the couch while watching Netflix can still be intimate and and a form of intimacy but right. yes better than actually nothing? yes and and it is, it for, is better you than know, for those yeah. of us who are sexual in our orientations better than nothing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i think that it's yeah it's very different and unfortunately it also falls on um like privilege i do you have a big enough house to have a guest bedroom right we used to and then we had a baby right you know, like right now we don't so yeah um we're in the works of trying to refinish our basement so that we could put a like a bed and and, or a couch or whatever the case um down there and actually make it livable like quote unquote um so friendly for potential dates exactly dateable yeah um well and you know there's also weekends and activities that people leave the house for so even if you can't spend the night maybe mm -hmm. your partner is going to go, you know, willing to go out, your nesting partner is willing to go out for the afternoon, go themselves mm-hmm. to a museum or go hang out with friends or something. And it's like, I promise I will be gone from one to four. <laughs> right, right. And, you <laughs> the know. The tie on the door or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it is, it is much more. It takes a lot of negotiation. Well, I wouldn't even say that it's yeah. easier if your partner is dating because then you also have to coordinate your dates at the same time as their dates. And that gets, that's like four people's schedules. Right. That you hope will work out and unless you have pretty regular like so tuesday date nights or something like that it's it's really hard to navigate so i wouldn't call it easy no but hopefully you get into a pattern you find uh you know like patterns for each partner hopefully they have a a constant work schedule or kids schedule or something you know because right because kids that's a whole other thing um yeah there's couch sex isn't as easy if you have kids running around the house like no. <laughs> or possible or even like wanted because that's a shared ho- couch and that's gross or whatever you know right. like so you can put uh, a blanket down. yeah you, you got to do something yeah, yeah. um but yeah uh th- it is it is difficult for sure and every level of either roommate partner partner being monogamous kids you know every level makes it more and more difficult right when you add them all together they're there they they multiply they don't add Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in my opinion Mm -hmm. um 
the other part of that question was, question. yeah, tips for improving and moving forward after dishonesty and poor communication. Boy, that's mm. one where, again, I have to say therapy, 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 mm-hmm. because I think it's very hard to rebuild trust alone. And, well, you can't rebuild trust alone, but even just between two individuals, it's, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult to do without a neutral third party kind of helping. I mean, I'm sure it's possible, but I think it's probably a lot harder. I have a really hardcore mono friend who, um, her husband cheated on her for several years. And when it came out, you know, they had a child with pretty serious special needs. And she really felt like leaving is absolutely a last resort option because I don't know if I can handle single parenting Mm. this child. Mm -hmm. This child's physical needs are more than I can handle alone. And they probably spent two years very intensely in therapy together and with her partner who had cheated in a lot of very intensive therapy himself. I personally, I don't know that I could have done the things that my friend required her husband to do, but the two of them had a commitment that they did Mm -hmm. and, and it worked, you know, that whole thing happened a number of years ago and they are still together and seem to be happy. So, yeah, but I think it was a very, it was obviously a very difficult time period. And Mm -hmm. I think anytime there's lying and betrayal and not living up to, you know, agreements, there's going to be consequences and they're going to be emotional and difficult and take time to heal from. So there's a book uh, called The State of Affairs by Esther Perel, and she's a relationship therapist. And I would definitely, I would highly recommend it. She goes into actual real life stories um, that include like the psychological and, and cultural effects of cheating and, and having affairs and, uh, and how that affects a relationship can it actually improve a relationship? It's, it's a really interesting book. I would h- highly recommend that. And she also has a podcast, though I don't know if it's super available, but uh, look up Did Esther Did she Perel. do a, like a Netflix or Amazon Prime show, too, I think, about like live sort of therapy? Yeah, it was live therapy. It wasn't Netflix. It was Audible. Audible. So okay. so it wasn't free. So but there were episodes that were free, and I listened to like six of them. They are really really good. Wow. Um, and she just and and a lot of them actually were about a, either somebody cheating on their partner or like oh uh, you know like a gambling addiction where they spent their entire life savings or a porn addiction or something they spent thousands and thousands of um, of their saved income on this thing that they could not control. And, and then working through that. Uh, wow. And, whoa, it was intense. And and it's so easy for people like, let's say, Dan Savage or, you know, other relationship advice columnists or podcasts to just be like, dump the motherfucker already, you know? And, and I think even in one of those episodes, a, a, a person had, they had children and she could not, or she felt she could not leave her husband because of that. And maybe it was a disability or maybe something like that. But um, it gets 
Oh, it's way, way trickier than just dump the motherfucker already. You know, like that yeah. is not, uh, that's not an answer often, right. oftentimes. Right. It de- really depends on your circumstances. Yeah. And nor is it something that you necessarily want to do. Like just n- not to mention how hard it is to, to exit a relationship, but just like, this is my person. I know I've definitely been in situations where there was dishonesty and betrayal and and for me, like personally, I felt like if we can get through this, we can get through anything. And it actually really did strengthen the relationship um, because we were able to be open and honest about what happened. And because we were able to move forward, it that did change the a, dynamic, but it changed it for the better. Right, you it know? could build a really strong, intimate connection. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, I agree. Therapy is definitely really important, but... But just communicating about about what happened and maybe, if you can, about why it happened. Um, I heard this quote, and, and, and it may not be true for everyone, but just that happy people don't cheat. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's too I simple. I just rolled my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's too simple. But, but I think a grain of truth is that, like, satisfied people, they maybe don't cheat. People that have everything they want don't cheat. So if... If people are being dishonest and, and or just having poor communication, it kind of seems to mean to me like they want something out of life. They they desire something and maybe they don't feel comfortable talking about it with their partner openly. So they think their only option is cheating or they think their only option is lying. I had communication. a <laughs> communication tip thought yeah. here. Which is oftentimes, I think, when we do have face-to-face communications, we can be very nervous about saying things that feel really vulnerable or that maybe feel judgmental, anything where we think the other person might react poorly. And sometimes we can even stop and self-censor ourselves when like we see a look in somebody's eyes that we think we know what it means, mm-hmm. which you know we don't because mm-hmm. they're just looking. We might be right, but we might be completely off base. Um, Communicating in writing sometimes can really simplify those fears and give you a space to communicate in a really different way that doesn't have to be in real time and can take that pressure off from feeling like I have to say this exactly the right way. Mm-hmm. Like you might still feel like you have to say it exactly the right way, but you can edit Yeah, and the other person can read and have the facial expressions while they're reading that they're having and you don't have to be watching them right. while they're reading. Right. And so they can have those initial reactions and then they can think about what they want to say in response and also return that to you. I have become the biggest fan of the shared Google Doc for Mm -hmm. communicating, Um, and I feel like for my long-distance relationship, it has been a complete game-changer because the ability to communicate in these very intimate and personal and vulnerable ways it's it's magical it's amazing mm-hmm. and we're not even having any of these like kind of conflict things like this is just opening ourselves but if you are in a situation where you're trying to communicate um, after dishonesty and poor communication or in any other context where you're afraid of what you're going to say or how it's going to be heard or what they might say it's another option 
And, you know, can people lie in writing? Of course they can. Is it a foolproof thing? Of course it's not. But sometimes just switching up the format of the communication can open spaces that you hadn't thought of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I distinctly remember a conversation I had with uh, someone I was dating. It was it was a very new relationship, like two months maybe. And they were talking about like what is what is the best way to break up with someone? And and I was like, like, and they were talking about it for a different person um, who they had gone on like two dates with, but they just didn't want to anymore, and they didn't know how to how to navigate that. And I was like, I mean, for me personally, I like I like breakup texting because I think that I can I can take it on my own terms. I can feel my feelings and I'm not out in public like crying at a restaurant which I've done before and I I hate it so much Uh, so like I would rather be in the privacy of my own home and deal with those feelings or maybe even set them aside and deal with them later and and then also edit myself and not be super emotional and I can be kind of like calm right and then maybe a month later he was breaking up with me via text and I was like oh wow this feels really shitty (laughs) (laughs) Wow, this is really bad, but also exactly what I told him to do, and I'm going to deal with this, and I'm going to be calm, and I'm going to be rational, and I am not going to be over-emotional, and he can't see me anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, So it actually, it was what I wanted, but when it came down to it, I was like, oh, wow, he's really breaking up with me via text. This sucks. What the fuck? You know? (laughs) But that's a useful thing to learn, too, right? Like, now you know, maybe I don't want to be broken up with by text. Yeah, maybe not. Like, maybe privately, but also in person. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that there's been great breakups, right? Like The way that I hated being broken up with the most ever was somebody broke up with me in bed once. And they felt like, no, this is perfect because we're still having this intimate conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's like, really, you know, you know that I'm not abandoning you mm-hmm. or whatever and I was like no I hate it I feel yeah. way too vulnerable like how you how dare you do this to me while I am not even wearing clothes like oh, yeah. I yeah. need to be dressed and have a little mm-hmm. layer of armor on to be able to hear this yeah my worst one was out to breakfast at a very crowded restaurant and I was like openly sobbing and and I think the other person was super uncomfortable so at least I made him really uncomfortable that's good but <laughs> but I was just like how could we have had this conversation in public? This is not a public conversation. Right. Um, so, yeah, I would say that restaurants, that's that's a no-go. Yeah. I, no. I mean, this was almost a year-long relationship, so it was kind of a, a bigger relationship. If it had been two months, maybe right. that'd be okay. So, I guess But even then, you're still, very, like, stuck yeah, until stuck you get the there. check. Right, right. So, I think something where you're not stuck is better. Mm-hmm. Um, I had somebody break up with me taking a walk which was not inherently a bad way to break up although they lived way out and had persuaded me that I should come out to West Bend and then broke up with me like walking around West Bend I'm like seriously you made me drive an hour so you could break up with me and no. it was more convenient for you fuck you <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that, that but that you know sucks. it was only that piece of it that was really wrong yeah. the idea of you know, let's meet and go for a walk is actually, I think, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break real quick and then we'll be right back. All right. The Toolshed is a mission-driven, education-based sex toy store located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. More than your typical adult store, the Toolshed provides quality, body-safe products that enhance the sexual lives and relationships of their customers, and they do it all in a comfortable, compassionate, and welcoming atmosphere. Not located near Milwaukee? That's okay. The Toolshed's online shop at 
www.toolshedtoys.com, serves customers all over the world. The Toolshed strives to be the source for accurate, up-to-date information about sexual health and pleasure. Their store is staffed by sexual educators who are invested in providing sex-positive and inclusive support to their customers throughout their lifespan, no matter where they're from. The Toolshed stocks a large selection of products made from body-safe materials. They have sex toys for folks of all genders, orientations, and inclinations, including gear for strap-on play, vibrators to stimulate a variety of body parts, BDSM gear, kink supplies, and much more. The Toolshed is also proud to offer a large inventory of gender expression supplies like binders, soft packers, shaping underwear, and breast forms. Last but not least, the Toolshed stocks lots of great books on topics like ethical non-monogamy, how to negotiate consent, kinky play, sexual pleasure, sexual health, and so much more. They've got over 500 different titles in stock at their Milwaukee location and host a regular monthly book club too. Every day, the Toolshed staff answers questions about products, pleasure, health, and relationships, all without shame or stigma. The Toolshed also offers in-person and online private consultations for people who have in-depth questions about any of those things, as well as other subjects like communication and relationships, establishing healthy boundaries, fertility basics, alternative menstrual products, and other topics folks deal with every day as sexual beings. You can visit the Toolshed in person at 2427 North Murray Avenue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or you can check out our online store at www.toolshedtoys.com. From now through the end of 2019, you can use promo code POLY2019, P-O-L-Y-2019, at checkout for 10% off your next purchase. Thanks. All right, and we're back. So uh, another question we had, which may uh, actually develop into a full-on episode because it's, it's, a, it's got a lot of layers. Uh, I'll, I'll read this listener question. A lot of new hetero males in relationships tend to have feelings of jealousy that occur when they think of their female partner dating another male. While many of the people I've talked to explained that the men seem to know that this is rooted in patriarchy and misogynistic ideas, what have men done to be successful in moving past those feelings? And that's the full question, but I would definitely like to say that it's not just a hetero male conundrum, but it definitely does end up happening a lot. Uh, to the point in polyamorous communities, we have a name for it called the one penis policy or the OPP. Here at Polyamory Uncensored, we are not down with the OPP. <laughs> so, um, it's often, in, and like the, the listener said, rooted in patriarchy and misogyny, but also transphobia in a lot of ways, saying that like penises are inherently threatening and vaginas are not. Uh, and also kind of also saying that like only men have penises, only women have vaginas, that kind of thing. Uh, n- neither of which uh, are or should be true. So... It is kind of the experience from um, uh, cis folks, but I don't know. What are what are your thoughts? On well, I think we've had this come up a few times in the poly discussion group in real life um, in the last couple of months. And whatever sort of political critique we might have of it as a phenomenon, it's clearly something that people are really struggling with and that um, people in the community are actively dealing with and frustrated with trying to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's important for us to try to think about some practical ways that people can manage this as well as acknowledging that it's a problematic 
perspective. Right. Because oftentimes I feel like in relation uh, in poly groups on Facebook, people will just be like, that's called the one penis policy. It's transphobic. It's sexist. You're wrong. Your feelings are wrong. You should feel bad about it. <laughs> like it gets down this rabbit hole of like, you're just wrong and stop feeling that way. Whereas that's not, that's just not helpful. Right. Um, if the, the man in this situation it truly is feeling jealousy or, or insecure specifically about other men in the relationship. So it's not a problem to have feelings, right? right? It's just not, it's not a problem to have feelings. It is a problem to tell your partner they are only allowed to date women because of your feelings. It is a, it's a problem to control your partner and, and put them in a, a small box of what they can and cannot do because of your problematic feelings. Right. <laughs> right. And I think that where you really have to go with this is men need to learn how to manage their jealousy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having those jealous feelings isn't wrong. But what you do with those feelings, you know, if, if, I, if I'm having jealous feelings and the little voice in my head, and again, I'm going to mime the little finger mouth talking in my ear, is saying, wait a minute, that's not cool. She's going to, you know, like fucking him more than she's going to like fucking me. Or, you know, what if his dick is bigger than mine? Or whatever the little voice is carrying on about I should be enough um, those are the voices that you have to learn how to say like okay thanks for sharing your opinion <laughs> um, yep having that feeling it's happening to me it's happening in my body it's happening in my head that isn't a call to action mm-hmm. it's a declaration of an emotional response and you can thank it for sharing you can you know go down to the basement and punch your pillow you can you know scream into your pillow you can you know go work out and try to get rid of your angry energy in a way that's healthy you can talk to a therapist about learning other strategies for managing your feelings and your jealousy you can't say you can't do that because i'm jealous and that's a thing that I think we're seeing people struggling with really hard. Mm -hmm. And if you want to be involved in an ethically non-monogamous universe, you need to go about it in a way that is fair to, if you're opening up an existing relationship, you have to open up in a way that's fair to both people. Mm -hmm. And the idea that fair to both people means we can both date other women mm-hmm. is like a fake fair. Yeah. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it can sound fair in a limited use of language, but it's, it's equal giving instead of fair. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. It's giving one women. person mm-hmm. the options to do, to explore the way they want to explore and the other person an option to explore in a limited way. Yeah. And yeah, that's not fair to, that's not egalitarian. Um, I think it's also, um, it makes sense to question why you have those feelings about men and not women. So when you're thinking, um, okay, this man is going to have sex with my wife in such a way that I can't, why are you not thinking about that with another woman? Because, like, I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm dating your wife, 
I can fuck her with as big of a dick as I want. <laughs> I, I get to go by You are mine. not limited yeah. by mine size can also, Mine can way. also vibrate, which yours never will be able to do, right? <laughs> like, mine can, I, I can do a lot of things that you can't. So, why, why is that not threatening? Is it that you, you just don't think women can have relationships to the same degree that men can? Because that's a problem too, right? Do you, do you not feel jealous about women because you think one day it's going to lead to a threesome with you and your partner? Cause that's a problem too. Right. And I've been there. I've been the, oh, I've been in a relationship where a woman with a woman where she said, the only reason that my boyfriend is allowing me to date is because he thinks it's going to be a threesome one day. And I was like, but it's not. She was like, he doesn't need to know that. And I was like, I think we need to break up. <laughs> you know, like, I was just like, I don't want, that's why he's been looking at me that way. Okay. No, this is not okay. This yeah. is really, really gross. So, so I think uh, it's really, really important for men to question why they have jealousies and insecurities with men that they don't have with women. And, and, and what is at the root of that? You know, what, what do you see as being so different between men and women that that you need to, I don't know, work on? Right? Mm-hmm. I think that is also definitely something. And I think it also comes back to some of our traditional advice around jealousy is like, what are you not getting in the relationship or concerned that you're not going to get in the relationship? You know, what, what's the underlying fear? Mm-hmm. Because as Lindsay just pointed out, if the underlying fear is that dude's going to be better at this than I am, then that fear only works logically when it's still in your own head. As soon as we expose it to the light of day, it becomes not very functional anymore. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that, I mean, that is so often true about the things that we are afraid of, especially in relationship contexts. Like, inside our heads they seem big and powerful and important and looming and sometimes the very act of just trying to explain them Mm -hmm. makes you easily see how insane they are yeah Mm -hmm. you know not always there's no guarantee that that's going to happen but it happens more often than you would think i mean even with that example say the person your partner is dating is phenomenal in bed say they are 10 times better than you in bed. How does that change your relationship? Does it at all? It doesn't have to. It really doesn't have to change your relationship with your partner. Their their sexual dynamic with someone else doesn't affect you. And maybe if it does, it could only affect you for the better because maybe they're learning fun new things to do in bed that they can bring home to you. So it doesn't have to affect you negatively in any way. You having feelings is is a thing, right? Like everyone has feelings about stuff, but in actuality, it affects nothing. Right. I think, yeah, people just have to wrap their head around that. That sort of goes to, let's try and see what you could take on as a practicing fake it till you make it of compersion. Mm -hmm. Like, yay, this person I love gets more orgasms. Right. That's a good thing. I would like more (laughs) orgasms too, Mm -hmm. but yay, you get them now. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I will also get them at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I've absolutely had to come to the realization that my partner has sex with people differently than I have sex with him. You know, like there's different dynamics. There's different actions and behaviors that they're doing. There's just different Everybody things. likes different things. Exactly. And there are things that I'm not into that his partners might be super into. There are things that I am into that my husband isn't. You know, like there's so many different dynamics. And and that's the beauty of polyamory is that you get to share different dynamics with different people. 
And also, if if it really does come down to, like, the size of a penis, let me just tell you, it doesn't actually matter all that much. I mean, I'm just going to say from my perspective, and I'm not necessarily a size queen, but it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It's how you use it, not the size of it, right? And honestly, if it's too big, it's a problem. So, like, keep that in mind. <laughs> and again, that's also an area where different people have different preferences. Mm-hmm. If the person that you are with likes having sex with you, they're probably going to want to keep having sex with you. They're in this relationship with you. You know, might they like to have sex with somebody with a bigger penis? Maybe they would. Maybe. Yeah. You know, like, maybe that is something they enjoy. It, maybe as they said, it doesn't who- matter doesn't to your relationship with them maybe they would like to have sex with a person with a small penis like maybe maybe they want a more manageable everybody (laughs) has their own preferences Mm -hmm. and that preference might or might not have anything to do with you Mm -hmm. but them exploring it with someone else doesn't have anything to do with you it has to do with them and the things they want to explore Mm -hmm. and in an ethically polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous context, you then are also free to explore your other ideas, preferences, you know, communications, whatever it is that, you know, if, if we were to flip it still in a cisgendered context, maybe the person that, you know, the one penis policy holder um, wants to start seeing outside of their original relationship has bigger boobs. Like mm-hmm. that's a stereotype thing that people, that heterosexual people are into. Like big, mm-hmm. you know, it are it, should your original person be insecure because you're fucking someone with bigger boobs? Like if they said to you that that was something they were afraid of, you're going to leave her for leave me for her because she has bigger boobs. It sounds ridiculous. It does. It's absolutely ridiculous. And. Is the only thing you offer your partner in a relationship sexual? Like, if it is, then maybe that's not, like, a full-fledged relationship. Maybe you're just friends with benefits with that person then. Maybe you're just fuck buddies with that person. If literally all you care about is the sexual dynamic between you, uh, what kind of relationship is it, you know? Yeah. If the only person, if the only thing that your partner cares about is your boobs, what kind of relationship is that? Most likely that relationship's not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. I had a partner who, who specifically asked his wife to never date someone taller than him. That was some, that was a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that was my face. I'm making a face. Right. I'm that making was the my face rolling, when he told me baffled that. And I was face. like, I was like, you realize you would never, ever be able to say something like that to me. And he's like, I know. And I'm like, okay, then you need to think about what kind of relationship you have with your wife. Because you saying that to her when you wouldn't say that to your girlfriend is fucked up. Like, right. <laughs> so... Yeah, consider what you're doing to your marriage because that's so stupid. Right. You're but being plus, stupid. it also, you know, in the world of online dating, like, how are you going to know? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, we had this great connection, but you're two inches taller than my husband, so no. So, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And pretty much any, like, any kind of trait that you have that's just purely physical, physical does not determine if you are a good person or not, including a penis or vagina, right? Right. Like, so hopefully you want your partner to date good people, not just people who are shorter or fatter or, or have the same genitals or different genitals than you, you know, Mm -hmm. like those are all things that are so ridiculous to base a relationship on. 
Right. There was a comment on the original question about um, men feeling secure because of internalized misogyny, and then you know, are women also struggling with insecurities based in body image? Um, and is all of this the same or different between trans folks or folks in gay relationships versus straight relationships? Mm. And I think it probably presents itself in many of the different ways that the commenter was describing. But at its core, it's all still those little insecure voices inside our own heads that we have to learn how to manage in order to navigate being in poly relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe if you are going to swinging events and you can put various and sundry rules on what are you going to do this evening, you can do those things without having to navigate those questions or manage your jealousy very much. But... The minute any kind of human connection beyond one that's going to last 20 minutes is involved, you're going to have to deal with your jealousies. And really, probably even in that context, you're going to have to deal with your jealousies because you're not both going to be at the event looking at the same person or people going, hmm, how about you? Mm -hmm. Like, you have to learn to manage your jealousy if you're going to do this. You Mm -hmm. just have to. And how that looks is probably going to vary a lot from person to person and whether you can learn to do it through self-help, through podcasts, through books, through whatever, or if you need therapy or if you need, you know, whatever you need might look different to learn how to manage your jealousy, but learning to manage your jealousy, it, you know, back in episode one or episode one, the first half of this episode, we were talking about what do you really need to call yourself, um, Polly And to call yourself Polly, all you need to do is call yourself Polly. But to successfully navigate anything in this universe, you do have to learn how to manage your jealousy. Otherwise, this is going to be a very short-lived experiment in your life. And I also want to bring up a book written by the super awesome Polly community leader and and, and educator named Peppermint. Playing Fair, A Guide to Non-Monogamy for Men into Women. Very specific book, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, so I'm going to... I'll link that. And that is implicitly cis men into cis women. I believe so, yes, yes. They might might go into different forms of relationships for sure, but this one is created by a a cis cis man, I I believe cis man. He uses he he pronouns. So uh, I had listened to Peppermint on, I believe it was on Cunning Mix's podcast, talking about this book and specifically being a a guide to non-monogamy for men into women and how he thought that that was a, a necessary niche market. So that might be a good resource for people who are trying to navigate the getting past those patriarchal and misogynistic ideas that are just like so deeply rooted and so hard to get over because like we've kind of been alluding to this whole question is that you have to move past those feelings to be in an ethical relationship to be in an ethical open relationship right there was a comment that suggested this could be a whole show topic and if you are a straight man who has dealt with this stuff we would love to have you come and talk about it more and talk about your journey and how you have learned to manage this stuff yeah i think that would be a great topic i agree 
All right, so there are a couple other questions that we did not get to, but we will save for a later date because uh, we're coming up on, on an hour-long episode here. So if you would like to send us a listener question or need advice or, or support in some way, you can contact us via Facebook. We are Polyamory Uncensored on Facebook, or we have a email at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com feel free to send us a question. They can be anonymous or you can, you know, do initials or whatever. We've just been saying listeners. So uh, mostly anonymous questions. And we would love to have more listener question episodes like this. This was a lot of fun. Forward to more. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. That is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank my husband, Rob, for helping us through our many sound issues and thank myself for editing the podcast so we sound smart. If you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. We will forever be grateful for any contribution you can manage to making this podcast better and more efficient. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.